Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Buonoite, so doctore santoshinadipuram, the infectiosas. I'm sorry, I just got back from Europe and I'm totally European right now. European? Uh, I'm a peeing. <laughs> I mean, I not hope like you're uh, washing your hands. <laughs> no, I washed my hands a little while back. Now I'm a recording. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm a recording. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Oh. me, Doctor J. <laughs> Are we European or just like Italian? Look, I'll, I will do. I will do the German European. Unstia. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most offensive Bavarian. <laughs> ferndy, ferndy, ferndy. <laughs> I mean, should we turn this into an offensive European accents episode? Uh, <laughs> yes, let's quite, Govan. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Now that we have finished with the, how you say, offensive accents, we shall uh, continue with the, uh, the theory of how do, you, how do you say, ah, yes, the episode? Well, Santosha, <laughs> you just came back from Europe. And, yeah. Uh, how was it? It was good. Um, this was the biennial, which means every two years, uh, toxoplasma meeting. So those of us who study this wonderful little protozoal parasite, we meet once every two years. We got to go to Portugal and then 
I took a couple of days off afterwards and visited the beautiful city of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. So it was just a fantastic time. I'll, I'll get my travel log up there over the next couple of weeks where I give you some pictures and some cool audio. I figured since you've been out traveling abroad that yeah. this would be a good time to do some updates, especially with regards to vaccines because it looks like Europe has been having a lot of trouble with vaccines lately, uh, very similar to what we've seen as a result of the anti-vaccination movement here in the U.S. You know, I don't like to call it an anti-science sentiment because a lot of the people who are objecting to things like vaccines, they're not necessarily science deniers per se, meaning that they may still have faith in the process of scientific inquiry, but a lot of them have just become jaded as to who to believe and who to trust in terms of published data. I, I can genuinely say I have nothing to gain here except for the overall public health. I'm not invested in anything. I'm not in any boards of anything. My financial disclosures are zero. I'm, I really, I really That's just That's right. You might as well them. call us doctors without quarters. <laughs> I mean, we, we both make money, you know, taking care of people and doing science, but um, neither of us are invested in like pharmaceutical companies or anything. We just genuinely want to see the world healthy. Let's start with, with Italy, which is yeah. now set to ban all non-vaccinated children from starting state schools. This is legislation they've been pushing through as of late May, I believe. It's been kind of making its way through parliament and this kind of a thing. And, you know, at first it was, oh, you're politicizing. And the truth of the matter is we knew for, for, for forever that safety belts saved lives. And then we got around to putting seat belts in every single car. And then we made wearing seat belts compulsory. People whined and moaned and screamed about it. And then when they finally started wearing it, the number of fatalities from car crashes went down so this is the same thing this stuff works and it's safe and just use it and if we have to get to a point where we say use it or or don't show up to school i think that's just fine and this is actually turning into a big fight between the minister of health beatrice lorenzen mm -hmm. who is the one pushing for this you know vaccinate or don't educate yeah, <laughs> that's really difficult. You know, we want kids to go to school. And a lot of these poor kids, it's not their decision. <laughs> you, know? we're, it, you almost feel like you're penalizing the wrong people. But we're just hoping that even with like a social push, if you point out that, hey, your kid doesn't go to school because you don't vaccinate, that I don't know, you'll make enough of a social pariah out of them that they'll be like, all right, fine, just get them their shots. So they've made a total of 12 vaccines mandatory for all children attending school up to age 16. Why up to age 16? Because let's be honest, once they're teenagers, a lot of people could probably deal without them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And well, the other real part of this, a lot of the vaccines that will protect you for life and protect the community for a long time are given right up to adolescence. And then after that, there's a couple of maintenance vaccines here and there. But 
there are no more new vaccines that you have to introduce. So the government approved making 12 vaccines mandatory. So this includes measles, rubella, chickenpox, tetanus, diphtheria, polio, hepatitis B, and I don't know, Santosh, how many of the 12 did I forget? Uh, I, I, <laughs> I was trying to go through all of them uh, before. Hold on, let me go on my thumb. Measles, mumps, rubella all come in one set. Uh, varicella is uh, highly contagious, and you need to contain that right away. Diphtheria, pertussis, and tetanus all come in one package, and they're all really important to vaccinate against. And hepatitis B, you're going to get when you're a little baby anyway. What did we miss? We we missed polio. That that particular one is on our list. Oh, no, I got him. I got the full list. Thanks, Go BBC. Ahead. Polio, diphtheria, tetanus, hepatitis B, yeah. HIV, meningitis B and C, okay. measles, mumps, rubella, whooping uh-huh. cough, and chickenpox. All right. Very so, nice. So, you will not be allowed to enroll in any state-run school or preschool if you have, cannot provide proof right. of vaccination. All of these, by and large, are all respiratory or contact. You spread them very easily. At the very least can cause some seriously debilitating problems. So these are things that if you get maximum vaccine coverage, you can pretty much get rid of these diseases out of the human population. So that's why these guys are so important. The meningitis vaccine, actually, for serotype B is quite new. In the United States, we're only recommending it for some high-risk individuals. But I think we're going to see that vaccine becoming a part of our daily schedule. The reason for this is meningitis, Neisseria meningitidis, does not look all that scary at the first couple of hours or even the first couple of days of infection, but it can get really bad really fast. Parents who do not wish to vaccinate basically can't attend any state-run schools, which in Italy is the great majority of them. Now, if they do manage to find some charter school or something that lets them avoid it until the age of six, Italy then says, okay, well... You clearly are going to have an uneducated child, but now we're also going to find you. Yeah. <laughs> this is supplemental to all the other efforts that Italy is trying to make, which is education campaigns and, you know, open discussions with healthcare providers and parents. You have to keep reminding people about what we could slip back to if we let vaccination rates fall. So, Italy's not allowing children attend school, Germany, who also has seen a huge rise in measles cases, and it's specifically measles all over Europe because people are becoming more anti-science, anti-vax, and worried about the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella. So the health minister of Germany, Hermann Grohl, said that they're not going to prevent people from attending school because they... They don't want to create another generation of uneducated people who don't believe in vaccines. (laughs) Instead, they're going to find the parents of any and all of the unvaccinated children up to uh, 2,500 euros, which is roughly just shy of 3,000 U.S. Right. 
And I think, you know, these are all experiments to try to get people to just, you know, follow the rec best recommendations of what, you know, the scientific data has to show. That giving these vaccines is important for public health, it's an individual for, you know, important for individual health, and that they are safe and they're effective. Forcing people to do it isn't necessarily the best way, and... A 2010 survey of vaccinations that was done all across the EU basically shown that, first, 15 countries have no mandatory vaccinations in Europe, and the rest had at least one. But the level of compliance is pretty high, including in countries where they're just recommended, not mandatory. So right. mandatory is trying to help them tip over into that higher level of coverage, and it's really an effort to fight this anti-science, anti-intellectual wave that seems to be sweeping across the world lately. Exactly. I said, a lot of the time, it's not necessarily that they don't believe in the scientific process. Someone has fed someone usually intelligent with oh, a conspiracy theory or some news about something that didn't even happen. A couple of presidential campaigns back here in the United States, Sarah Palin, who was like, oh yeah, I met someone whose kid was hurt by the HPV vaccine. And the FDA and several other organizations got together and said, well, we're worried about this. We're concerned. So we're putting out a bounty. We will, you know, if the woman who spoke to Sarah Palin or whoever it was will please step forward and show us your vaccine injured kid, you know, we'll grant you this much money and nobody claimed the money. <laughs> so there is the same success rate of bounty claiming for people who have so-called proof that vaccines cause autism are showing up to collect that money about as often as people who have proof of ghosts. Yep, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> remember, there's also a $1 million reward for any conclusive proof of ghosts, which also has yet to be claimed. Yep, it's just dangling out there, waiting for somebody to come along and prove it. Anytime, guys. Otherwise, you know, go out, protect your children, protect yourselves. And, yeah. you know, we're all about self-improvement and keeping everyone safe. So that is my rant. We'll leave Europe at least briefly. As you come back from your Santosh, I'm actually packing up and getting ready to head out myself. Based on a just the tip from our travel correspondent, Sarah, I'll be yeah. heading to Cuba next week. Hey, Cuba! Hey! That's not what Cubans sound like. That's that's not even remotely close. <laughs> We've now moved from offensive... Uh, <laughs> to just wrong. To, to just incorrect. Wrong. <laughs> Cuba has come up a couple times in the podcast before because they've had a vaccine for cancer. Now, it's just lung cancer. It's not, you know... An, and all cover all bases, cancer vaccine, you take it once and that's it. It's very specifically <laughs> a lung cancer vaccine. This isn't the type of vaccine that's given to prevent a disease which hasn't happened to a person yet. This is the type of vaccine that you use after a disease has, uh, has started. You can actually give it to kind of encourage or or boost the immune system to fight harder against said disease. So a lot of the time, you know, we talk to you guys about if you get rabies, you can give 
rabies immune globulin and rabies vaccine to help the immune system prime against the rabies virus. This is the same kind of thing that if you get lung cancer, then you inoculate the patient with a vaccine to teach their immune system how to fight the cancer. The Cuba lung cancer vaccine has actually gotten a go-ahead from the FDA to start U.S. trials. So it's being conducted in Albany. It's called Semavax, and it's specifically for non-small cell lung cancer. It supposedly costs as little as $1 to manufacture by one of Cuba's state biotech firms, which means once it's available in the U.S., it should cost something like, I don't know, a thousand bucks a dose. That sound about right? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to, you know, pass complete muster. And even if it has, you know, if it's going to stay that cheap here in the United States. But let's, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Interestingly, only slightly related is in Boston, we're starting our own new cancer vaccine based on studies that have been done from Cuba's lung cancer one. Mm -hmm. So Catherine Wu at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston just mm -hmm. presented their results of a new cancer therapy to the American Association for Cancer Research in Washington, D.C. And this was done... Late April, early May of 2017. Yeah. Okay. So their personalized vaccine have present... have prevented cancer relapse in 12 patients with skin cancer while also boosting their immunity when combined with a drug. So they're using what are called, and I love it, neoantigens. It makes me think of Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Tiny little antigens with sunglasses and trench coats. <laughs> neoantigens are the one. Weird to say because, in fact, neoantigens aren't the one. The cool thing about neoantigens is they are the many. <laughs> Instead of saying, I'm going to teach the immune system how to fight against one particular antigen, an antigen is something that the immune system recognizes. It can be a sugar or it can be a protein. Instead of just using a single antigen to, uh, to teach the immune system, what we're going to do is kind of make a personal vaccine where we see what type of antigens that that patient's cancer made. They almost create their own Agent Smith, who becomes, as we all know, obsessed with Neo. So these Neo <laughs> antigens can't be identified until a patient's tumor is genomically sequenced. So we have right. to know the DNA of the kind of cancer they have, and then you come up with mutated proteins specific to that kind of tumor, and they all gang up and try to attack the one tumor. So really, we're rooting for Agent Smith. As long as the relapsed cancer has close enough antigens to the original cancer, your immune system will be kind of primed and ready to go. So that rather than waiting around for the cancer to build up to, you know, a mass where it can't be handled. And by the way, ladies and gents, our bodies are fighting tiny little cancers all the time. Um, so this is just one way to teach the immune system that, hey, this was cancer. This is not you. 
If you see it again, you kill it. Before you, you know, frighten the entire nation, Santosh. No. <laughs> Tumor is just Latin for growth. Cancer just means uncontrolled growth. It's not right. a danger to anyone until it reaches a certain size. So when you're talking right. about how everybody is constantly fighting cancers, the entire yeah. world is not walking around with an active cancer. Yeah, it's that's just true. <laughs> cells need to be occasionally reminded, hey, guys, stop growing, slow your roll, and when right. they try and overdo it, our body steps in, Agent Smith smacks them down, and everything goes back to normal in the Matrix. It's only it's when we have Neo and Trinity and all the rest of the gang that things, <laughs> well, you saw what happened in the second and third movie. It goes downhill <laughs> real quick. Oh, it was so bad. They could have just made one movie and we would have been so happy forever. But back to the actual science. Oh, so right. Dr. Yeah, Wu's yeah. team <laughs> made their personal vaccine very specific by targeting about 15 to 20 neoantigens per mm-hmm. patient. So they looked at the tumor and they said, that's a good target. That's a good target. Let's do that. those and another six and maybe another 10 on top of that. Yeah. And they injected them under the skin for a period of five months, which elicited a very strong T-cell response. Those are the cells that fight cancer, hunt them down. And all of Dr. Wu's patients who were given their own personal vaccine are still cancer-free more than two and a half years after the trial. However, a couple of them who had an advanced form of cancer or a cancer that had metastasized needed a little bit of extra punching power. So they still got chemo in addition to the personalized vaccine. So this is not a end-all, be-all, cure-all. Right. And I should say the, the chemotherapy that they got was not really chemotherapy the way we think of it. They actually got uh, an, a monoclonal antibody, um, which actually still augmented their immune system rather than you know, trying to poison the cancer the way that chemotherapy does. So we're still working within the realm of immunotherapy in order to fight this cancer. So this is an awesome new approach. Um, We're all hoping that it's scalable, that the results are repeatable, which is a big cornerstone of science, and that we can see many more of these instances in the future of therapies like this working because, hey, if you can get your own immune system to beat down a cancer, we may not need chemo. I'm going to briefly contrast this with these neoantigens with Cuba's lung cancer vaccine, which is Cimavax EGF. Now, again, Dr. Wu was fighting skin cancer. Cimavax is meant to fight non-small cell lung cancer, and it's a recombinant human epidermal growth factor, which is bolted to a protein carrier. So, Santosh, do you want to explain how that one works? Epidermal growth factor is a protein that a lot of our cells secrete. The protein was first found in our skin. And this is a cell-to-cell signaling protein which is specifically meant to tell skin cells or, or cells in the epidermis to start growing. Well, if you have the wrong kind of epidermal growth factor or you have an excess of it, maybe being secreted by a cancer, then cells start to grow out of control and can turn malignant into a tumor or into a cancer. 
So what you do is you take the, the weirdo form of this epidermal growth factor, the protein that should not be around, you hook it up to another protein which is kind of ugly to the immune system. It's, it's immediately recognizable. And the, it tells the immune system that, hey, this protein and whatever is hooked up to it are bad guys, so you kill it. And so then when you put that fusion protein into a human, the immune system recognizes it, destroys that epidermal growth factor linked up to the other protein, and then gains memory and says, okay, if I see this again, I'm going to destroy it. Now, it's important to say that even though we've been throwing around words like vaccine, this is really much more of an immunotherapy because both Cuba's Semavax and Dr. Wu's Skinvax, I don't know, <laughs> know what it would be called. Neoadjuvant uh, therapy. Yeah. Are, right. Are, yeah. They need to be given frequently. This is not a shot that you get once and you're done. You usually need a shot every one or two months or even, I believe, a Dr. Who's was given every three. Okay. And it has to be – you basically need to be re-upped every so often. So they're not really just what we traditionally think of as vaccines, but they are still preventing in terms of relapse. Right. So, you know, you have active vaccination, passive vaccination. There are several ways to actually vaccinate. And so this is just a different way of thinking about how to use a vaccine. Rather than giving it ahead of time for prevention, you're giving it actively during the disease course to boost the immune system uh, in the right direction to kill the unwanted invader. Think of it as post-treatment maintenance that extends the remission period, right? So you're kind you of go, yeah. trying to turn cancer into something that gets managed, like diabetes. Can't be Abs cured. Mm -hmm. Can just be controlled. Absolutely. And uh, I think a, a really good way to think about this otherwise is to remember that when you have cancer those cells are your own cells. So there's a lot of confusion going on in the immune system saying, like, hey, you know, we shouldn't destroy these things. That's us. But, <laughs> you're, you know, those, those used to be, it's kind of like, you know, uh, Josh, you're a Walking Dead fan. You know, occasionally you have a uh, human who's, you, you've got to tell them, it's like, that's not your sister anymore, man. That's a zombie now. And you're sitting there with the shotgun going, no, no, no. But you have to teach him. You're like, I, that's not your sister anymore. That's a cancer cell. Or in right. that case, so a zombie. Right, so you get the vaccine and it moves more to like, uh, Dad, you shot zombie Flanders. He was a yeah. zombie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're trying to prime that immune system so that it learns that, hey, that's actually a bad cell. I know it looks a lot like us, but it ain't us. But now let's talk about vaccines for diseases that we just didn't have vaccines for before. And the, most yeah. and the first and most exciting is a malaria vaccine. Malaria is one of the biggest – well, mosquitoes are one of the biggest killers around the world in terms yeah. of – you know, bugs, insect vectors, and certainly no, throughout Sub-Saharan Africa and South America and l 
anywhere with a tropical environment and stagnant pools of water, you're at risk for mosquito-borne diseases. So the remainder of vaccines we're going to talk about deal with more things that are carried by mosquitoes, and the first being malaria. So, Santos, you want to tell us about the malaria vaccine? Yeah, so just to preface, there have actually been a lot of different malaria vaccines in progress for a long amount of time, and for the life of us, we just can't figure out why we can't just pick an antigen and show it to a human being and, you know, make them immune to malaria forever the way we can with some of these others, like measles or, uh, you know, mumps, for instance. Here's how big of a killer malaria is. First off, about 429,000 people died of malaria last year, 92% of them in Africa. It's gotten so bad for so long that I'm sure you're familiar with sickle cell anemia. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That basically still exists because just having it, as terrible as that can be, provides a defense to people who have it against malaria. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Sickle cell trait and malaria kind of co-evolved in sub-Saharan Africa and in parts of uh, Far East Asia where plasmodium is just as prevalent. Um, But it's just that the people are a bit more sparse out there. So (laughs) Basically, Africans said, I'm not going to let malaria explode my blood cells. To hell with you. I'll do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's be fair. If they have sickle cell trait, which means they don't have the full disease, they're immune to malaria, essentially, but they don't get the full sickle cell disease. You know, if you have two copies of the sickle cell gene instead of just one copy, then unfortunately, the cure is worse than the disease. So this is this is a big time killer. I will go one step further in saying mosquitoes are the worst threat to humankind right now, the single worst worldwide killer. We used to think it was people, but it's actually mosquitoes. Those guys are horrible. So we've had And a this tough- is this includes the results of the 2016 US election. Mosquitoes are still our bigger threat. Yeah, believe it or yeah, yeah, this is this is a hundred percent true. If you needed to kill bad people on this planet versus mosquitoes, I'd go for mosquitoes a thousand percent of the time. Malaria is one of the first organisms that we're trying to form a vaccine against that is a eukaryote rather than a prokaryote. It's not a bacteria, it's not a virus. It's a little bit higher and younger on the evolutionary tree. And uh, it has a lot of ways to hide and trick our immune system that make it tough to to form a vaccine. So the best front runner so far has been a vaccine called RTSS slash AS01. And there was a seven-year efficacy Oh, another excellent scientist name. Oh, oh man. We couldn't have just called it like uh, malaria be gone or something. This vaccine was evaluated as a phase three evaluation across several sites in Africa. We checked for a seven-year efficacy trial, which was published in July all the way in 2016. So this is a little bit of preamble, but essentially what we found 
was that in uh, Kenya, in Tanzania, when these vaccines were given, was fairly protective. Participants were re-exposed to malaria. They had a little bit of protection, essentially. The efficacy was not fantastic. What happened ultimately was that the, the, the vaccine efficacy waned. So as time passed from the last dose of vaccine, um, people became more and more vulnerable to malaria up till the point where their vulnerability to catching and getting sick from malaria was about the same as if they had never been vaccinated. So it was And in some perf- cases it was higher. There was an actual negative efficacy. Right, but it uh, I should say it wasn't statistically significant from the baseline from the background, but yeah, the trend was definitely going the wrong way. However, during the vaccine period, we definitely saw a suppression of uh malaria cases in the vaccinated population. So it was somewhat efficacious. The World Health Organization has decided to do to just kind of give this a try on a larger scale because the vaccine has been found to be safe is to just open up the vaccine for a larger population of people and to use this. And and I should emphasize this in conjunction with other mosquito control and malaria control uh, efforts as a supplement. So we're going to add the vaccine into the mix and see if we can drive down the cases of malaria even further than we have with things like, you know, getting rid of sanding water and using mosquito nets and... It almost sounds, and I hate to say this, Santosh, but so far we've covered, what, four vaccine updates, and they all seem like, by and large, they're not terribly effective yet, yeah. <laughs> at, least in, at least in achieving their aims. Right. I mean, uh, two of them because of, like, social controls, you know, because we're just trying to get people to use the vaccine. Just, the, just use yeah. it! We've got a working yeah. one! Yeah. It. <laughs> it's, just put on your seat belts, people. Just put on your seat belts. Um, but then the third one, because it's just hard to vaccinate against malaria. Malaria is just a tricky bug. So... Let's move on to maybe a little bit more of a success story from the WHO, because they on, as of mid to late April, the World Health Organization endorsed the world's first ever vaccine for dengue fever. Yay! Unlike malaria, there is no established cure for dengue. It's also known as bone break or back break fever because it can cause... In addition to severe nausea, headache, and rashes, it can cause bone pain, severe muscle cramps, and if you catch it a second time after having it for the first, it's also one of the hemorrhagic viruses. So it can cause horrible bleeding, even death, can last up to 10 days. It's a lot of fun! Uh, <laughs> I believe one of, our travel, one of our travel companions, Crystal, Ended up catching it on the way back from our Peru trip where we went deep into the Amazon. Right, and luckily she so, did not get the hemorrhagic fever type. She, she did not. Did, she got the she, first version, which was still backbreak, bone pain, all the good stuff. <laughs> so this is something she could have taken prior to going, and it's now been 
licensed in four countries, Mexico, Brazil, El Salvador, and the Philippines. Dengvaxia, which yeah. finally, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Good name. <laughs> you know, because the vaccine was given to development by, uh, to Sanofi Pasteur. Sanofi has a very good marketing department. And so they went in and said, let's give this thing a catchy name. You know, I'm not big on, you know, giant pharma corporations, but occasionally they do something cool, which is like naming a vaccine. Here's where this is important. You know, whether or not you understand climate change, and I'm specifically saying understand and not believe, believe because it's like right? <laughs> believing in gravity. Sure, sure. Right. So whether or not you understand climate change, you have to admit that the world is consistently getting hotter and hotter and warmer, and mosquitoes are showing up in more places earlier than they used to, and even in places where they didn't used to be. Dengue is a major one that you certainly want to be able to address. It's one of the most feared diseases in countries where it's endemic, mostly because, again, this reinfection can cause a hemorrhagic fever. And if you think backbreaking pain is bad enough, now imagine that you could be crying tears of blood, you could be pooping blood. If you have a hole, blood can be coming out of it. Well, Dr. Josh alluded to this earlier, and uh, this is one of the reasons why this vaccine was very hard to, you know, create. It's not really the first hit of dengue that hurts you. It's actually the second hit of dengue. So we, you know, you'd go and get dengue, you know, and then you'd get cured, just, you know, your body would clear it. And then you'd contract it again because another son of a bitch mosquito has nothing better to do. So that's the time you could potentially get the hemorrhagic complications. So we had to look for vaccine components and a vaccine reaction that would protect the person who received the vaccine from getting those complications instead of being quote unquote exposed in such a way that you know the second time you your body saw dengue you would progress to hemorrhagic fever this vaccine is given in three injections spaced out over the course of one year so it's a little bit onerous to go and get it's designed for those over the age of nine who have been previously exposed to the virus. So we're just trying to prevent the hemorrhagic one at this point, and it's only right. being recommended for people who do live in endemic areas. So outside of those four countries right now, you can't really get it, although it wouldn't surprise me if you know Florida and some of our southern states would be considered to be endemic very soon. So if you're just visiting these places for short term and you've had dengue fever, it might be worth asking your doctor about or at least looking into a travel clinic. If you haven't had it before, don't worry. Just, you know, mosquito nets, DEET, all the natural protections you would already be taking. Right. And this vaccine has been shown to be about 70% effective for those who have had pre-exposure to dengue and 90 to 95% effective in preventing a severe hospitalization meaning preventing a visit to the ICU or a prolonged hospital stay. 
Right. So, you know, this is uh, this is really important to talk about. You know, we're not trying with this vaccine necessarily to stop you from getting a little bit of dengue fever. We're trying to stop people from dying from it. If the virus can't establish itself really well in a human host because the host has been vaccinated, it may also slow down transmission as mosquitoes, if they do bite you, may not pick virus up from you to transmit it to the next victim. There's also right. no good animal models for dengue, so we can't be testing this in rabbits, monkeys, you know, whatever else that we might do in a lab to improve this. This has all been done in petri dishes and testing on, you know, human subjects. Mm-hmm. Willing, Absolutely. consenting human like subjects. Consenting human subjects. Yeah, yeah. It, it is important to note. There, there are a few of these viruses out there that are human-only reservoirs, and where before we had zero recourse. Like, we did not know what to do except for supporting the victim. Now, the last one I want to talk about is one that actually was pretty recently approved for the U.S. Cholera, of course, is one of the ones that would have killed you on the video game Oregon Trail. It's also (laughs) a very, very, very common disease in the third world or in poverty-stricken areas. So they recently approved a single-dose live oral vaccine, meaning there is some active but weakened bacteria in there called Vaxcora, and that's in the U.S., and it's approved for adults 18 to 64 years old who are traveling to an area where cholera is endemic. Now, it's not recommended for most travelers from the U.S. Most people don't go to places where cholera is endemic. I do. I'm heading to Papua New Guinea in the fall. I'm heading to Cuba next week. I travel (laughs) deep into the jungles and places where Sane humans don't go, so I will be picking this up. I'll let you know how it works out. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it reduces the chances of severe diarrhea in people by 90% at, as soon as 10 days after vaccination, and it reduces it by 80% three months after vaccination. But they don't have safety studies in pregnant or breastfeeding women, which I'm still okay. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> oh, and we also don't no know glove, how long no it lasts. Love, Josh. <laughs> and we also know how long the protection lasts beyond three to six months after getting the vaccine. Two other inactivated vaccines have been available previously, and they're they've been put out by the World Health Organization, but they're not available in the U.S. And those are known as Ducaral and Shancol, and they both offer somewhat more incomplete protection and i don't have the statistics on how well they work but they've been out longer than vaxcol or vaxcora right so uh cholera is caused by vibrio cholerae uh it's a tiny little bacteria that lives and swims around in water. When you catch it as a human being, uh, it, it'll get to your intestine, and it's actually not the bacteria itself that hurts you. It secretes a toxin called cholera toxin, which then kind of paralyzes some of the transporters in your intestinal tract, which normally 
take up water and electrolytes from food, and the pumps start to reverse. So that instead of you absorbing water and electrolytes, you pump it back out into your intestines and then out of your body in the form of voluminous diarrhea. And you That's can, a good word, voluminous. voluminous. Yeah, you, you get such few chances to use voluminous. You then can administer antibiotics and you can readminster fluids and electrolytes, you know, usually by IV because you try to get it by mouth, but a lot of the time you can't catch up with your diarrhea, believe it or not. So you hydrate the patient, you give antibiotics, and you have to wait not for the bacteria to leave, but for the toxins to finally cycle through, get inactivated, and get out of your system. So it is a long time, and it's a horrible course. This is the type of thing that will prevent a traveler from getting uh, cholera where they would be trapped, as you said, Josh, out in the middle of the jungle where they couldn't get access to IV hydration or, you know, or even enough oral fluids to take care of yourself. That's the main reason to get a vaccine such as this as a traveler. If you're going to remote areas, you know, this isn't one of these things where you can like pop a, a Z-pack and be like, oh, okay, I'm fine. You know, this will kill you. Dying by diarrhea is a pretty shitty way to go. Ah! I damn you, damn you to hell. <laughs> I feel like Ron Burgundy right now. Damn you to Hades! <laughs> <laughs> so, that's it for our update from the vaccine nation. Eh? Eh? Oh! <laughs> If you'd like to learn more about vaccines, we've also done a full other episode on some of the more traditional ones that are usually given, when and why. It'll be linked in the show notes. In the meantime, I believe it's time to move on to just the tip. Santosh, you've most recently traveled. What can you tell us? Oh, guys. All right. Let me take you over to Lisbon, Portugal. Five-hour flight from lovely JFK Airport. And uh, I've got to say, the city is magnificent. It's very walkable, especially towards the evening time. You get a beautiful, cool breeze, and it's the perfect temperature. It's like, you know, the San Diego of Portugal. It's absolutely awesome. So you uh, get to a neighborhood around called the Bairro Alto, B-A-I-R-R-O, space A-L-T-O, meaning the high neighborhood. But just before you get into that, just south of there, there is a little museum of pharmacy. And this thing is the coolest. Uh, you have a walking kind of step-by-step -step tour of little collages of pharmaceutical implements starting all the way back in one of Dr. Josh's favorite eras, which was Pharaonic Egypt. Uh, and going all the way through to different continents and different civilizations, all the way up to modern times. They even have a culture from, of penicillin, of penicillium, the little fungus that we got our first antibiotic from, sitting there in a sealed Petri dish that you can view. I'll try to put up my travel That's like log. a dinosaur fossil, you guys. Yeah, That's, that is Jurassic Park-level cool for <laughs> scientists. 
Oh, it's so awesome. Yeah, and it's sitting right there. And they put a little magnifying glass over it so that you can see all the mycelium. But it's so neat. And then, you know, you can visit other eras of medicine, like going back to apothecaries and going back to alchemy. Josh, they have, for for no reason whatsoever, uh, pharmaceutical therapies, including chastity belts. I don't know how it fits, but it's there in the display box. The best way to prevent... (laughs) sexually transmitted diseases yeah. <laughs> is a metal belt locked around your genitals. So, so it has nothing to, nothing to do with using chemistry to affect the body. But they do have a couple of other cool contraptions of medievalism, including electrocution boxes used for treating schizophrenia. They go over, go over to Japan and China where they show like acupuncture, which we've talked about in previous episodes right here on Travel Madison Podcast. And then they show you all kinds of cool vases and, and containers and uh, methods of extraction uh, from various plants and herbs all the way up to, you know, semi-modern times, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th century, like the modern pharmacy uh, and wartime pharmacy as well. So, you know, what a soldier had to carry on his back in case a gunshot wound or a broken leg. So, and Josh, your very favorite, they have a plague suit. <gasps> they, I don't believe it's a replica. I think they have a real plague suit that With is the all, bird mask? They, they have a bird mask, and it's all sealed off in black, and it's standing right up there, and it scared the holy living shit out of me, because I, tur- I walked through an entrance, and then I kind of felt a presence over my right shoulder and I was like, ah, plague suit! (laughs) Because it was a bird out of the corner of my eye. But I turned around and uh, yeah, I will will try to put up a travel log both on our Facebook page and our Squarespace page over the next couple of weeks. Dr. Josh and I have already geeked out a ton. If you make it over to Lisbon, Portugal, I think it's one of the treasures of Lisbon, Portugal. If you pair that along with the trip to their Museum of Natural History, which is at the University of Lisbon and has a beautiful section on plants and humanity, which uh, their, their display right now shows how human beings have used plants and herbs through the ages. Um, it makes for just a beautiful, geeky visit of uh, you know, pharmaceutical and herbal therapies through the ages. Um, and thank you very, very much, Lisbon, for everything, but thank you especially for your Museum of and Pharmacy. I cannot encourage our listeners enough. Go to medical museums. Go to all the tiny little museums that don't get visited, yeah. but certainly medical because you find some of the craziest stories that would just slip under the radar. You know, people like, yeah. wait, what the hell was this used for? What? Yeah. So. <laughs> and and if you if you do you know feel like they gave you because uh, a lot of them are free. I gotta say, Josh. Uh, you know because they you know they don't really have you know enough to encourage patronage. But if you feel like they've given you a, a something cool to think about, uh, donate five or ten euros and you know put a smile on a on a curator's face. And feel free to drop our names. It's not going to get you any discounts. It'll probably end up with a look of confusion. But the more of these museum curators who learn about us, we might even be able to 
be able to get them on the show and talk to them and have them tell you about the exhibits. And then you can have a walking tour, or at least other listeners can have a walking tour to accompany them when they go. Oh, yeah. So look forward to more of that. Um, I'll be posting on other a uh, couple of other museums that I visited over the next couple of episodes. And uh, thank you guys yeah, so, so much. So check our for... Facebook page. Yeah. Check our Facebook page. Check our Squarespace page. There's a new section up on the Squarespace page called the Adventure Log, where Dr. Santosh and myself and all our co-hosts are periodically going to be putting blog entries from our travels. It is exclusively dedicated to photos, stories, videos, and those sorts of things. We also now have a YouTube station, channel, page. What's it called? Yeah. What do the kids do these days? Are they on the YouTube? We also have a YouTube page. Yeah, we did a YouTube Which right now has our... It's got our full third season available, so if you don't like to listen to podcasts, but you do like watching a blank screen with our logo, you're in luck! (laughs) Please uh, jump onto YouTube, and as always, uh, you know, rate us, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, no, mostly thumbs up. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. You can reach us on Facebook, on Squarespace, on Twitter, on Patreon, anywhere podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear your reviews, your ratings, and we would love for you to support us spiritually, emotionally, and financially. Included in the show notes are a whole bunch of places you can do that. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. This show is produced by me. (laughs) Me help. With a lot of help from all my co-hosts and those of you who submit stories, thank you very much. And until next time, as always, happy travels. Bye, guys. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.